you know, to cover everything about spiritual warfare, you can't really do in one service. There's just so much involved in it. But I'm just going to share what the Lord had, has impressed upon me to, um, to just share with you today. Um, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25 through 26, Jesus was speaking, and uh, the context here is he just cast out a demon from somebody, and they were saying that Jesus was casting out demons by the prince of demons, or Beelzebub. And uh, the Jews called Satan Beelzebub, which means the Lord of the Flies. <laughs> what a name of honor, right? Oh, Lord of the Flies. <laughs> And so Jesus was giving a rebuttal back, and he said, But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. How important it is for us to walk together in unity. To be in unity in our homes, to be in unity in the church, to be in unity in, in our workplace. All of these things are just key ingredients. Even the world knows that. They spend uh, millions of dollars to try to do non-work-related functions to kind of keep unity in their corporation, in their workplace. Because they know that if there's strife, if they know there's division, if they know there's bickering going on, it'll just bring down uh, attitudes, it'll bring down performance, it'll make a ton of mistakes, and it'll hurt their business, and so they're willing to spend millions of dollars to keep that in line. Well, you know, Jesus said sometimes the, the children of this world are wiser than the children of the light, and so we have to be, we have to live up to our light, if you will, and know the, the, the truths and, and operate in that. But he makes a statement here, and he says, if Satan cast out Satan... He is divided against himself, and how then will his kingdom stand? So right here, Jesus is acknowledging that the devil has a kingdom. There is an invisible kingdom that is out there in the heavenlies and is operating here on the earth. And Paul kind of gets into this a little bit in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10 through 12, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in heavenly places. So you know, Satan, before he was Satan, he was Lucifer. He was, an, he was a, the angel, the morning star. He led worship in heaven. He was right there in the throne room. He was one of the, the archangels. And so he was around God, and he knew how God set up his kingdom. And then when he rebelled against God and was kicked out of heaven, you know, he's just a copycat. So what he did is he said, well, this is how God does it, so this is how I'm going to do it. So he set up his kingdom pretty much to, to copy God's kingdom. And so in his kingdom, he has rulers. He has archangels that are, that are um, 
heads over territories. We see this in Jan Daniel chapter 10. When Daniel was fasting and he was seeking the Lord for revelation, the angel came to him and said, I, 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 from the first day you prayed, which was 21 days ago, he said, I heard, the Lord heard you, and I came, but when I came, there was a prince over the region because Daniel was in Babylon, and there was a prince over Babylon, prince of Persia, and it was right over there, that, that demonic force, and this angel had to do battle. And it was an ongoing battle. It would be interesting to see that on TV. <laughs> Maybe in heaven, God will have a movie night, and we'll be able to see some of the, the, the victorious battles that uh, took place in the realm of the spirit. Tonight, we're going to have the battle of Michael and Lucifer. <laughs> no limited seating, right? Amen. And so there was this battle going on. And while the battle was going on, and this demon, this archangel that had control over this area was losing the battle, what did he do? He called for the prince of Greece. And then he came. Another archangel over another territory. See, devils are territorial. They have this thing. They want to control. If the devil can control you, through some type of a vice, drug addiction, pornography, whatever, he'll try to do it. But if he can only control you by making you itch and causing you to scratch all the time, he'll do that too. He doesn't, he doesn't care how. He just somehow he wants to have control. He wants to get control. He wants to get control of thoughts. He wants to get a control of feelings. He wants to get a control of emotions and habits and behaviors because he's a control freak. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, you'll see this in, in Luke, I think it's either 11 or 19. We might jump into that. When it goes out of a man, the Bible, Jesus said that it goes into dry places. So when a demon leaves that area of control, to them it's like walking in a dry wilderness. It's like they're, they're longing to have something that they can control, that they can inhabit, that they can influence. And that's that evil nature within them. And so there's, there, there's an order in this kingdom, and you have the hierarchy of this kingdom, and you have these, these demonic in, uh, entities, these angels, uh, archangels, that are over different areas. And then underneath them, there's rulers. They have their commanders. And then those commanders are sent forth over areas to bring forth whatever that archangel wants. And they all have to report to one another. And then when they come into these areas, that's why we see here in there, we see that there's principalities and powers. Powers is the word authorities. It's the word powers is sometimes translated power, and sometimes it's authority. But the Greek word is exousia, and it means authority. So that really should say against principalities, against authorities, and then against the rulers of darkness. So you have, these, you have this hierarchy, an archangel, commanders underneath, or maybe a general, and then underneath the general would be sub-commanders, and they're going out. And then what they have to work with is the host of wickedness. And that wickedness takes on certain characteristics. 
So just to kind of give you an example of how this is working in our culture, you know, there's always been sodomy in throughout history, right? It's always been there. We go all the way back to Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's kind of why we call it that. And uh, it's a very unnatural thing, men leaving their natural desire for women, beginning to desire other men, women with women, and that's a very unnatural thing. And it's been something there because there's these hosts of wickedness who carry that trait or carry that influence with them, and they try to influence people with that. But what keeps them at bay is the will of the human, the will of people, the conscience of people to, to say, no, I don't accept that. I don't agree to that. But then what happens is the rulers come in. The authorities come in. And they try to work this influence into the culture, into the leadership, into the governing body, into the political leaders to try to create an agenda that it's okay, a reasoning, a persuasion. And, of course, we see that in our culture today. And so the reason why they do that is if they can begin to create a persuasion or an influence that something like this is okay, saying maybe it's, you know, they, they try to use it in different ways to, to make it socially acceptable to say, well, this is how you were born. These are other options. Um, if you discriminate that against that, you're discriminating. You're a discriminative person. You don't have love. If you really love, you're going to love everybody. You're going to love everybody. Well, yes, we do love everybody. We love those who are struggling. We love the world. God so loved the world. He didn't say God so loved those that were good, that were nice, that were doing the right things. It said God so loved the world. So we love everyone. We don't have to be afraid of somebody that's, you know, if somebody is in sin or living a sinful lifestyle, we don't have to like, oh, they're so scummy and dirty. I can't even go near them. I can't touch them. No, we love them. You know, that was Jesus's, that was one of the biggest complaints against Jesus when he was here on the earth because the Pharisees were like, look at him. He's, a, he's supposed to be a prophet. Doesn't he know that a harlot is, is, is washing his feet with her tears and, his, and, her, and her hair? Doesn't he know that he's eating with sinners? But see, he loves us all. Thank God. But these ruling powers try to get influences in. And when they can get an influence in and they can get something uh, established as a, an agenda, as an okay, it becomes a persuasion. And what it does is it allows the conscience of people to open up, to accept things. So this host of wickedness can manifest more and more. You know how bad Sodom and Gomorrah was? Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have kings. They had judges. There was five cities there. And they had judges. And these judges made the rules for the city. And in the process of making the rules for the city, they came up with the rule. The judge came up with the rule. And the rule was this. We're going to put a bed in our streets. We're going to put beds in our streets. And when a stranger, a man, a stranger comes into our town, we can grab him, we can tie him up, and put him on that bed and then anybody can do whatever they want to him all night long. That was from the judge. 
So when Lot was at his home and those two angels came that appeared as men, he's like, don't go out there. you got to stay with me tonight. Don't go walking around the streets because and, and, this isn't going to work out real well for you. Stay with me. You've read that story, right? Now, it's interesting in that story that Lot, when, when the town heard about that there were these two men, strangers, at his house, these men came to the house and they began to beat on the door. They said, give us these men. You know, the law says that if a stranger comes into town, we get to tie him up to the bed. We get to do whatever we want to him. And Lot's response kind of blows your mind away because he, you got to kind of understand a couple of things because it really made him look like a poor dad. Because what did he do? He said, don't go after these men. I have two virgin daughters. You can have them. Now, if you're a dad in here, can you even fathom making that offer? You can't. Now, was Lot that terrible? No. But here's the thing. When the angel came, the angel came to save Lot and his family. Came to save Lot, his wife, his daughters, and their husbands. And so these daughters were married. But where were their husbands, and why were the daughters still virgins if they were married? So Lot knew that his sons were, because he, when he addressed the men, he said, brethren. He said, he, you know, why would you, you know, address that group as brethren? But he addressed them as brethren. He had family members in that group. His son-in-laws were in that group. And he thought, well, if I, if I send them out, I know that, I know that they're not going to do anything with these women. They're not going to do it because the other part of the family is there. And, of course, when Lot escaped, none of them came with him. It was just his daughters and his wife, and that was it. So that's how bad it was. That's what he was... You know, so he wasn't as, I don't, I don't want to throw him under the bus like I used to. Uh, <laughs> he, just, he just felt that if he, his daughters went out there, that would appease the crowd, but his sons, their wives, or their husbands, would protect them in that situation. But see, that's how the political hierarchy of Satan's kingdom is at work, and he's trying to set up different things to create narratives, to create mindsets. And of course, we see that now right before our very eyes in how our culture is changing and how certain ideologies are out there. But there is a pushback. There is people that are, there's a righteous cry that's in the hearts of people, and it's pushing back, and we've got to continue to stay praying, pushing, and standing and speaking the word of the Lord. Amen? So he tells him, finally, my brethren, be strong. So the key thing about spiritual warfare is you've got to be strong. 
when Joshua was getting ready to go into the promised land, when he was about to go in there and, and start to move the children of Israel into the land, they knew that they were going to have to fight walled cities. They knew they were going to have to come against giants and armies and, and people that hated them. And so the first thing that God told them is he said, you've got to be strong. As a matter of fact, he said, only be strong. Only. See, the struggle that, not the struggle, but the deception that we have in our American Christian culture is that we're comfortable. Life is very comfortable for us. It's getting a little bit uncomfortable. There are some things that are rocking the boat. But for the most part, we're comfortable. We kind of have our thing. We've got our, you know, we've got our jobs, our school, or our hobbies, or plans, or families, and we just keep going uh, day in and day out. But we're in a warfare. You're under attack. Whether you feel good or not, whether you're having a great day or a bad day, every day you're under attack. There's an attack against the righteous. And so he told Joshua, the key is you've got to be strong. Only be strong and very courageous. That you may observe a, to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper for wherever you go. For the book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have not I commanded you, be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with you wherever you go. So that was the key. That's the key number one, be strong in the Lord. You can know things, you can have knowledge, you can have spiritual uh, revelations, visions, you can be loaded with gifts of the Spirit and have all kinds of things in, in your arsenal. But if you're not staying strong every day, if you're not staying in the Word of God every day, you are not going to be able to have the victory in your spiritual warfare. Something's going to get you. And we've seen it over and over. Uh, many talented, gifted people who God was working through and anointing and working through have not finished the race or haven't made it to where God wanted because they were not being strong in the Lord. Now, being, you know, getting into warfare, he, you know, he says here we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities. And that's good to know because, A, a lot of times when the devil's attacking you, he is using other people. And so you can think you're having a battle. You know, you're having a fight with this person. But it's really not that person. There's a spirit behind that person. Because the devil is, you know, he knows where everybody's faults are. He knows where their weaknesses are. So if there's a grouchy person on the job, he knows that he can agitate that grouchy person, bring them to your workspace, and get them grouchy in front of you. 
<laughs> and you might feel like retaliating against that grouchy person, but again, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against those, those spirits, Satan's kingdom. So how do, you, how do you fight back with that? Well, we'll talk more about that. But the word wrestle, it means to be able... You know, you're in this. You're in this contact. It's in this. It's in a close contact. It's not like, like I'm standing over here and I'm shooting at Jeff way back over there. Everybody say, "Hey, Jeff, hey, Jeff. Duck, duck, Jeff." You know, it's not like that. It's 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 hands on. It's it's contact. It's it's physical. It's it's right there. It's it's touching you. It's grabbing you. It's pushing you. It's pulling on you, and you're feeling it. That's what we're in. And some days you go, yeah, I, I, I'm in a spiritual warfare today. You just feel it, right? But when you're going through these things, the key thing is, like he told Joshua, know that I am with you. Know that I am with you. When you're going through something, you got to know that the Lord is with you. Now, sometimes the devil attacks in two ways that I've seen. Is A, he can either attack in a dramatic fashion where all of a sudden he's causing problems around you. It's causing things. Like you might be driving down the road with bald tires and it's raining, and all of a sudden during that storm, you lose control of the car. And there you are on the freeway, flying around in circles. See, that could be more of a dramatic attack. Or it could be something, or something coming against your physical body. All of a sudden, you've got pain. You've got things that are going on on the inside of you. You don't know what it is. It's it's hurting you. It's it's slowing you down. It's 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 affecting your physical ability. You're you're dealing with a certain amount of pain. You know, a lot of times when those things come, you know, right away. If sometimes people can go to the doctor and all of a sudden the doctor's got you on 10 different meds and, and you're taking tests every other week and, and away you go. But if you just take some time and you just start to pray and you start to seek God and you, you say, okay, I'm going to take authority over this right now. I'm going to speak to this thing. I'm going to deal with this thing right now in the realm of the spirit first. Don't necessarily, I'm not saying dismiss going to the doctor, but seek the Lord first. How does he want you to handle this? You might find that you do that, all of a sudden that just starts to go away. You know, you, you, you may not necessarily just fall over because something hits you so powerful and you go, wham, wow, I'm healed. But you just take care of it in the spirit. You, you get alone with God. You, you declare some things between you and God and against the devil and you say this is it and done. And then you just move on your way and then... All of a sudden, a week later, wow, that, that pain that was really bothering me, it's kind of it's kind of dull now. It's not there anymore. And then all of a sudden, another week, it's even less, barely there. And then all of a sudden, it, where'd it go? Where'd it go? Well, you took care of it. You spoke to it. When Jesus spoke to that tree, 
it says it withered up from the root. He spoke to it. Nothing changed to that tree. It still looked like a healthy, strong tree. But the next day when they came back, they saw that it was withered up from the root and it fell over. Something attacked the root of that thing. It stopped it. It cursed it. And it caused it from being able to continue to grow and expand. And it died from that point forward. Sometimes we got to do that in the realm of the Spirit. Now, I think about the story of Jesus when he was in the boat. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, it says, On the same day when the evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now, he could have elaborated. Let us cross over no matter what, even if the waves start to, to get wild and the wind starts to blow and storms start to come and uh, all kinds of crazy things happen, we're going to go over to the other side. But he, he just said, let us cross over to the other side. He spoke it. That was his word. That was his direction. Now, they didn't decide to just follow the shoreline. Would that have been following his direction? No. In order to cross over, you got to just go from here over. So they were doing what he told them to do. They were following his direction. They were crossing over. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. <clears throat> Interesting. They had a little crowd going, a little, little boat party, boat parade going on there, right? And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he, Jesus, was at the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care? We are perishing. So they're in this boat. These are fishermen. They've, they know the waters. They they've know all the stories about the water. There's several boats there. They're all looking at each other. They're all watching each other struggle. This one's struggling. That one's struggling. Water's coming in the boat. They know the story about two months ago when ten sailors went out in two boats and, and lost, and we never seen them again. They know the story about a, a half a year ago when that other ship went out and all the crew was uh, overcame by a storm, and we never see them again. They know all the stories. They're looking at each other like, is this it? Is this it? This is, the, this is the storm that took out so many others. And now we're right in the midst of it. And so they start to doubt. They start to say, what, what's going on here? This is the end. And, and they're thinking, well, why isn't Jesus helping us? He's right here in the boat, but why isn't he helping us? Man, he just doesn't care. Do you notice when you go through a trial when things aren't working out, your car breaks down, you lose your job, what's those feelings that come up? Oh, 
God isn't looking out for you anymore. God isn't helping you like he's helping so-and-so. You know, he's going to help so-and-so more than he's going to help you, but you're not as important, you know. Or he'll come along and try to tell you, you know what, you're just not going in the right direction. You're, you're just going in the wrong direction. Well, you know, if you're Jonah and God tells you to go to Nineveh and you get on a boat and you go the opposite direction, you're not in the going in the right direction. You are fair game for the devil and he will have his way with you. And Jonah knew that. And the boat people, they in that, in that case, they didn't know what was going on, but they finally came to the conclusion that there's some judgment going on here. Somebody here is running from God. Who is it? And, you know, of course, Jonah says, well, that would be me. And they said, okay, well, uh, we're going to send you on your way and let you and God work this out. We don't want to go down in your judgment. So they threw him out. God prepared a great fish. And, of course, God worked in that to get Jonah willing to say, okay, Lord, I will, I will go where you want me to go. So you can get where God wants you to go, but if you want to sit inside a rotten fish and smell all the garbage and the junk to get there, you have that option. Or you can get on the boat, have a smooth sailing, or if a storm comes, no big deal, because I've got God's direction. I got God's blessing. Well, so here they are in this boat. They forget that Jesus said, let us go over to the other side. They know Jesus is there with them, <clears throat> but they're thinking that he's not there to help them. And as a matter of fact, they're thinking he doesn't care. Master, don't you care? See, if you let that thought in, man, God, don't you care about me and my situation? That's just the devil using that. He's just trying to, he, he throws things at us, and then when we feel things, then he turns that around and slaps even more of that in us. He gets you to sin, and then when you sin, then he says, now you're condemned. Like, hey, I'm, I'm sinning, devil. Can't you encourage me to sin some more? No, I'm going to condemn you. He just condemns you even more. So in this case, here they are in the boat. Now they're all complaining. They're murmuring. They're talking to one another. They're saying, we're going to die. Why isn't Jesus doing anything? Who's going to wake him up? Are you going to wake him up? Do you want to wake him up? Why don't you wake him up? we got to get him up because he needs to know what's going on. So there's a struggle. And, of course, they wake him up. Oh, he stretches a little bit. You know, he's probably, the boat's probably going, oh. <laughs> he, he looks out there. Oh, I don't even need my morning coffee to do this. I can just take care of this. Peace, be still. <laughs> gotcha. I saw a few dozing off, so I wanted to kind of... <laughs> I wanted, to, I wanted to disturb the peace with some peace. There you go. <laughs> and it stopped immediately. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm gonna, I, I've tried to stop a snowstorm or two. It didn't stop. <laughs> I, you know. 
But the key thing here is when you're dealing with this battle, you've got to deal with it from a place of rest. See, Jesus was in a place of rest. So, Austin, come on up here once. No, no. I want you to stand here. You're the devil. Stand on that stage. Now, I'm trying to get him to submit. Now, put your arms on my shoulders. Now, sit down. I want you to sit down. Never. Sit down. Never going to sit. Sit. No. <laughs> okay. So, you see the picture here? I'm down here trying to go there to tell him to sit down. It's not working really good, is it? But now, if I go, now you stay there. Turn around. Come no, 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 no. Just don't come closer. Come closer. Now, try to reach up. Sit down. See, so it's a difference on where you know you're positioned. If you're positioned up here, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. Very good. So if you're trying to, if you're under fear and worry and does the Lord love me and is he going to take care of me and is, and is this going to happen, is this going to work out and, and, and God, where are you and what's going on and now devil, get out of here. He's going to be like, yeah, right. I don't have to listen to that because I have authority over you. See, we have to understand the difference between power and authority. Power is a car, a truck, with eight cylinders and a huge grill on the front coming at you full speed. That's power. That's going to knock you out. But if you're wearing a badge and a uniform, now you have authority and you can hold your hand up and you can make the truck, the car behind it, and all the cars behind it stop. Even though those things have more power than you, you have the authority to stop it. And in the realm of the spirit, the devil is legalistic. You know, he's so legalistic that when Jesus showed up and manifested his power, what did they say? Have you come to torment us before the time? In other words, uh, excuse me, there is a time when you're going to come and there's going to be judgment, but uh, that's not now. So uh, why are you here? Why, what are you doing? You don't belong here now. It isn't the right time. I know I'm going to have, we're going to have this problem later on, but not right now. They knew that. They're very legalistic. And so the Bible says don't give any place to them because they know, they, 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 they understand human nature. They know where they have places. They know where we're yielding to them. And so if they see an area where we're yielding to them and now we're trying to resist them while we're underneath or submitting to that influence, that which they're bringing in our life, they know they don't have to leave even though we have the power. We have more power than them. Even though we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, they don't have to leave because they have that authority because we gave it to them. 
So we have to be in that place of rest. Now that place of rest is a place where we know that God, that we know that we are following God's direction. See, the disciples, if they would have just stopped and said, okay, the Lord told us we're going to the other side. He said we're going to the other side. We're going to make it to the other side. Jesus, everything he said happens. It always comes to pass. He said we're going to the other side. This doesn't look good right now, but Jesus said we're going to the other side. That truth would have been part of the belt of truth that they would have wrapped around themselves. It would have brought this whatever's out of control of emotions and feelings and, and distractions and all. It would have brought it all into control because the belt of truth would have said, we're going to the other side. And then they know that God is in, Jesus is in there. Jesus is right in there. So they, could, they should have just said, you know, Praise God, we got Jesus in this storm. Praise God, Jesus is in here. Jesus, praise God, Jesus is in here. Hey, Jesus, we want to just say, praise God, you're with us in this storm. You're right here in the boat with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here with us. And, of course, that would have woke him up, and he probably would have got up at that point and said, peace, be still. But it would have been a whole different, whole different thing. But they could have, because, you know, with Jesus, when he got up and he rebuked the storm, what did he say to them? He said, oh, ye of little faith. Like, wow, what, what, what were we supposed to do? What could we do about this situation? How could we change this situation? Why are you rebuking us? This is, this is beyond us. No, no, this is something that, you could have dealt with. I believe that if they would have stood up the boat and they would have said, Storm, Jesus said we're going to the other side and we have Jesus in the boat and our boat and none of these boats are sinking because we got Jesus in the boat. That would have stopped it. That's what I believe. But it got caught up in the emotion of the situation the frustration, the aggravation, and it was putting them down. They were underneath trying to tell, come down. But they needed to realize what they had. And when you realize what you have, when you realize who you are in Christ, when you realize that God is with you, when you realize that you're following the Lord's direction, all of that elevates you and it keeps you in that place of rest. It keeps you in that place where you know you're seated with Christ in heavenly places and you're not trying to, you know, hoping that maybe the devil will listen to you. Hopefully this will work. Sometimes we rebuke the devil out of frustration more than out of knowing who we are in Christ. Like, I don't like this pain. Oh, I don't like this pain. Devil, leave me now. Get this pain out of me right now. Well, I mean, that's good, but it, are you... Are you more really focused on the pain than on the healer? See, a lot of times that's where the, we lose these battles. We, we might mechanically be doing some of the right things, 
but where are we where is the position in our understanding in our heart and our mind where are we connected at that time where are we focused at that time certainly the disciples that after all of this they could have just said uh, wind stop get out of here leave us alone and it probably didn't work because they were so full of fear they thought the Lord didn't care anymore they were desperate and they thought they were just going to try something they could have and sometimes that's what our spiritual warfare might stem out of and it may not work it may not have the same results but again what position was jesus in he was in rest he was in the rest of the father we're going to the other side i've got some work to do over there i've got an assignment over there i'm going to make it to the other side yeah i mean in my sleep i mean He's sleeping pretty good, you know. rock baby. <laughs> when the waves blow. <laughs> so we have to be in that rest. And see, in that rest, this is where Jesus uh, said in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall any means hurt you. So James 4, 7, and 8 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So if we don't submit to God and we try to resist the devil, he's not fleeing. You know, that centurion came to Jesus and he said, he said, I am a man under authority. And I recognize that you're a man under authority. And you... And I tell men, go, and they go. And I say, give commands, and things happen. And because you're under authority, you command things, and they happen. So you don't even have to come to my house to, to, to heal my servant. All you got to do is just release a command. See, he understood authority. He understood how that worked. And he submitted to the Lord's authority. Right then and there, he was, he was a Gentile. He had no right at that moment because Jesus came to the lost sheep of Israel. He didn't come to the Gentiles. But he had no right to go to him based on, oh, son of David or anything like that. But he submitted to his authority, and he says, all you've got to do is just speak a command. And Jesus did. And then he said, I have, I have not found so great faith, no, not in all of Israel. Because this man understood authority, and he understood how to submit to it and how to work with it. And so we do the same thing, and then that helps us in our spiritual warfare. So as we're dealing with certain things, we just got to submit to God. And like he told Joshua, he said, meditate on the word of God. Just meditate on it. So what I would encourage you to do is when you're, you know, at night before you go to bed, just say, Lord, speak to me throughout the night or speak to me right in the morning when I wake up. But give me a word, a word that you want me to hear, a truth, a nugget that you want me to know. What is that, Holy Spirit? You lead me and guide me into truth. That's your mission. That's your job. So speak to me. And then when you wake up in the morning, if you didn't get a dream, if you didn't get something from the Lord, and you wake up in the morning, and, uh, you know, while you're eating your breakfast or drinking your coffee or whatever it is, take at least, at least 10 minutes. Open up your Bible. Start reading. And then all of a sudden, oh, wait, and I, I feel like I, I, I'm in Galatians. I feel like I need to go to Ephesians. Then you go over to Ephesians. You start reading something. All of a sudden, a verse just kind of pops out. What? Oh, that's cool. 
that's a cool verse. Don't just close the book and go, oh, that was a cool verse. That was your nugget. That's your meal. That's your meditation. That's, you know, a cow, when he eats uh, some food, it goes into one stomach, and then he brings it, regurgitates it, chews it again, and it goes into another. And that's where we get the word mutter, and that's, where, that's a derivative of the word meditate. We, we mutter it. We re-chew it again and again. And then, you know, you could take that verse, <laughs> you could take that verse, you know, copy it, paste it, email it to yourself. Now you got, you know, everybody's got email on their phone. Now you can look it up throughout the day. You can meditate on it because that is the word of the Lord that he wants you to have. He wants you to chew on. He wants you to meditate on because in that word, there's going to be some nutrients. There's going to be some things that are going to edify you. They're going to strengthen you. And as you do that, a couple things are going to happen. A, it's going to tune your ear, your spiritual ear to hear the voice of God. As you meditate on the word, it's tuning in your ear to hear the word of God. See, sometimes, you know, I, I listen to Caleb, and one thing I've noticed, I don't know, let me know if you notice this too. If it's really sunny out, it's staticky. Like, I get static when I'm listening to Caleb. But if it's cloudy, I don't. It's the weirdest thing. I don't, has anybody ever, now you're all going to be listening, you kind of know it's just kind of weird. Some days it's staticky, and some days it's really, really clear. And the only... Oh, okay, okay. So there's, there's, there's God speaking, but how do we tune in? How do we tune in? That's so important for us. If we, the more that we can tune in, the more that we can hone in on that voice and, what, and, and, and understand it and recognize it, because it, it, it is a still small voice. You might be going along as planned, and all of a sudden, maybe I should do this. Ah, nah. And then all of a sudden, this doesn't work out. And you're going, man, that was God. God, right then and there, was trying to tell me to change gears. But if you don't tune into that voice, you're going to override it. You're going to miss it. And there's a lot of blessings that are in following the direction of the Lord. There's places of protection. There's places of, of help. I remember when we were moving, uh, one of our early houses we were moving from, and I had a list of things I wanted to do, and the Lord's like, go home. I just kept getting this, go home. But no, 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 I got to hook this plumbing up. I got to take care of this. I got to, and everything I tried to do, I couldn't even do. I couldn't do it. I didn't have a piece for this. I didn't have a part for that. I, I, it was so bad. I even went to the store to get beverages for the guys that were going to come and help, and I left them at the store. That's how bad it was, okay? So here I am. Okay, I'm going home. Finally, I'm going home. I'm around 51st and Good Hope. If you're familiar with 51st and Good Hope, there's a train track that goes over the top of the road. You kind of dip down. One time I was driving underneath there and a bird came down and hit my windshield. But this night, on my way home, all of a sudden I'm in the U-Haul truck. Bam! There were kids up there throwing rocks down. And one of them hit the windshield. The Lord knew that. He knew that was there. That's why he said, go home. Go home before they get there. You know, he didn't tell me all the details. He just said, go home. But I overrode that. But it was a good lesson. Thank God I didn't get hurt. 
had to pay had to pay for a windshield. <laughs> but those the Holy Spirit will be speaking to us to to navigate us out of danger as we continue to tune in. And that's very important to our spiritual warfare. Jesus, when, when Lazarus was, was uh, died, you know, he was just there a few days ago, and that's where he said, before Abraham I was, and they were on to stone him, and then Jesus got out of there, and then all of a sudden Lazarus gets sick and die, and the Satan planned this to try to get Jesus to go back there because he knew they wanted to kill him, and he thought, if I can get Jesus there, they're going to kill him. And Jesus just waited around for days. Didn't make sense. That was his good friend. Why isn't he going there to heal him? He knew it was a trap. As we meditate on the word, it brings spiritual strength to our soul. It brings more light into our soul. And it exposes or expels the darkness, the devil's deceptions, and bondages. And so after we submit ourselves to the Lord, we can resist the devil, and then he'll flee. And that's why the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. And I would just encourage you to meditate on Psalms 91. Because Psalms 91 is really going to be more crucial for us, especially in, in these days as, as things begin to happen more and more. Because it says, you know, when you're, when you're abiding under the shadow of the Almighty and you're, you're setting your love upon Him, you know, He's covering you with His feathers. He's sheltering you. And as he's sheltering you, you don't have to be afraid of the pestilence. You don't have to be afraid of the plagues. You don't have to be afraid of the terror. Though a thousand may fall at your side. And ten thousand are dying around you. I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's in that place of rest. I'm in the rest. I'm in the rest. So meditate on Psalms 91. I'm going to stop there. I got a part two at some point. We'll get into, we'll talk about the trickery because that's the other way he comes. It's the wiles. Really, that's the way we, that's the one that we battle the most that we don't realize all the time is we're fighting against the wiles, the schemes, the trickery, the subtleness of the devil. But I'm going to save that for another time. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us your power, your authority. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the strength that we need, the resources we need to be strong. And, Lord, that in being strong, that's how we're going to, to win more battles, take more territory. That when the stronger one comes and he binds the strong man, then he can spoil his goods. So, Lord, help us to be the strong one because you said greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Help us, Lord, to be the strong ones in our home, the strong ones in our community, the strong ones in our jobs, the strong ones in our families. Wherever you've placed us, whatever sphere of influence we have, help us, Lord, to be the strong ones.
in you so that when we go into those places, we can bring the influence of the kingdom of God, that that can subdue the enemy, that can drive out demons, that that can break down the strongholds. Lord, we thank you that you've made us your, your warriors, Lord, your soldiers. And we thank you, Lord, that we have victory and that our names are written in your Lamb's book of life. Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.